Hi, everyone. Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. For the first time ever, the Birch Aquarium is home to a pregnant male sea dragon. Joining me today is Leslie Matsushige. She's the aquarium's resident seahorse and sea dragon expert. Here's our conversation. All right. Well, Leslie, thank you very much for joining me. I know that this is very exciting news. I've read that it's kind of rare for sea dragons to breed in captivity. How big of a deal is this? Um, it's a huge deal for us at, at the Birch Aquarium because it, this is really the first time we've had a really large egg transfer with our sea dragons. So um, we're very excited. It is in a, a rare event, even in aquariums in general. Sometimes, you know, every year we get maybe one or two egg transfers in other aquariums um, around the world and sometimes none. So it is pretty rare. So whenever we do hear of a, a successful egg transfer, um, everybody's really excited. That's it's really a success exciting. for, you know, for whoever the aquarium is or even anyone who's worked with sea dragons in general. Uh, it's it's an achievement and what we you know we can learn a lot from it uh, so these sea dragons they live um, in, in an exhibit also alongside seahorses what is the difference between the two so seahorses and sea dragons are in the same family of fishes called Cygnathidae, but seahorses are different in that they have a prehensile tail and the male seahorses have a brood pouch where they carry babies. And then eventually as the eggs develop inside their brood pouch, they hatch and then the male gives birth to those babies. Um, in a sea dragon, they don't have a prehensile tail and they, the male sea dragons carry the eggs on their tails. So on the sides and the undersides of the tail is mainly where the eggs are transferred from the female to the male. And then he carries them on his tail for a period of four to six weeks until the eggs hatch off of his tail. So seahorses live in various areas around the world. There's many species of seahorses, up to 40 different species of seahorses throughout the world, tropical and temperate. With sea dragons, there are only three known species of sea dragons, and they all occur in southern Australia. So they're a temperate species, meaning that they only live in cooler waters where there's a lot of seaweed, seagrass, and algae growth, which is why um, leafy and weedy sea dragons have leafy appendages so that they can camouflage in their natural habitat. Amazing. Uh, well, now that the egg transfer is complete, I mean, do you expect the pregnancy to go forward and to, to be successful for, for baby sea dragons to be born? We're very hopeful. Uh, this is a really nice set of eggs that have been transferred to this male and they are sitting and properly on his tail and his skin has actually formed cups around each of the individual eggs on his tail. So that's really um, what's supposed to happen. So we're hopeful that those eggs were fertilized by that male and he carries them until they're fully developed and then they hatch on his tail. So um, there's no guarantees, but we've passed that first um, challenge of the eggs being transferred successfully. And so we're just waiting to see how the eggs develop and, and hopefully we'll move forward to the point where they'll be able to hatch and then we'll be able to raise the babies. 
Amazing. Um, well, what all went into this? I know that you've been working with sea dragons for a long time. And, you know, as we've said, this is the first time it's happened at this aquarium. You know, how have things gone before this? Well, we've been working with sea dragons for a long time, over 20 years. And when we first started working with them, we didn't know a whole lot about what it takes to keep a sea dragon in an aquarium. So it was a lot of um, guessing and trying different things until over time we became successful. We tried things where we improved the nutrition. We we'd feed them foods that we thought would be appropriate for them that they liked and they ate successfully and we would enrich those foods. So with better nutrition, the sea dragons were healthier, therefore they lived longer and had a um, you know, more of a tendency to be healthy enough to reproduce. The things that we we didn't see a whole lot of reproduction. So we realized that potentially the habitat that we had them in the aquarium wasn't appropriate for mating behaviors and egg transfers like we have seen. So over those period of, of many years, we learned and then we made improvements. We gave them larger exhibits and even larger exhibits to the point now we have an even largest exhibit, one of the largest exhibits in the world for sea dragons, which we are very hopeful that that would give them appropriate space um, and comfort to successfully reproduce. So, so far it's looking good. And over the past uh, five to eight years, we've had some egg transfers, but they're very, very small amounts you know, anywhere from 30 to five eggs, and then not all of those eggs being viable. And so they eventually fall off. And we did have two years ago in 2020, a successful egg transfer of only five eggs. And of those five eggs, only two eggs made it um, to hatching. And we raised those two babies and they're currently on display in our new exhibit. So we had some practice uh, two years ago. So that really has helped us to Hopefully, with this large egg transfer and hopefully them hatching will give us um, more experience to do it successfully. Amazing. I remember those headlines. Well, what will happen um, with the babies? Will they remain at Birch or is it possible they could go somewhere else? We don't really know. Um, it depends on how many end up surviving. Typically, we would keep them here at the aquarium until we felt comfortable that they would be able to be transferred safely. And so sometimes that would be a period of, you know, six to eight months, maybe even a year. So we would have them here probably behind the scenes when they're little babies. And we would share that with our um, our guests and our, our followers, probably through social media, but probably not having them on display right away, just because it's a really critical time for those babies to grow. And we wanna make sure that we keep them in a place that um, we can really control their environment to their needs. So, but there is a possibility that we could have them this, um, on display as larger juveniles and hopefully as they become adults. And we also share um, surplus animals with other aquariums. So there's a possibility for us to share them with other aquariums, therefore they can have an exhibit to educate their visitors and guests. And, you know, it's all part of our conservation program here at the aquarium that um, we really want to be able to successfully and consistently be able to raise 
sea dragons in the aquarium so that we can have sustainable populations within public aquariums and hopefully uh, gain more knowledge so that if there's a problem with them in the wild with their populations, which we are starting to see now due to some climate change occurrences, um, this is all good knowledge for us to have. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. Can you tell me more about how the aquarium um, applies, you know, conservation knowledge in the world? Sure. Um, you know, just like I said, we do a lot of trial and error. We learn things as we go. And all that information we document and we share it with our colleagues because when we work together, we learn things faster. And when we learn things faster, then we all become a lot more skilled at being able to keep these animals and then getting them to reproduce and raising their babies to adulthood um, full circle. So um, it's really important for us. And then by doing that, it's going to help the species in the wild. It makes people uh, more aware of this species that it even exists because a lot of people, when they come to our aquarium and they see these sea dragons, they've never seen one before. They never even knew they existed. So to know that this really unique, very charismatic looking fish exists in the, in the wild, it, it might make people realize the incredible diversity that we have in our oceans and that they may be more aware and willing to take care of that precious resource. So that's one of our missions, just, you know, being in a public aquarium and educating our people, um, our, our visitors, and then being able to share our skills and knowledge with our colleagues. So then, um, you know, it's kind of a win-win. We all win and the species wins by gaining this knowledge. How did you get into this line of work? Uh, well, I think it started when I was a little girl and I was growing up near the ocean in Hawaii and I I was intrigued by the ocean and just really being able to be out at the beach looking in tide pools and just so curious about that. And just that interest when I was little kind of, I guess I just had that in me. And then when I was studying in college, I studied marine biology and it just really interests me. And then from there, I just kind of, I really wanted to work in an aquarium because at an aquarium, you work with so many different species. There's so much diversity um, that you could work with and you learn so much. And then you share that information with visitors. Um, to me, that's really, um, I really enjoy that. And so uh I also was working in aquaculture previously to working to in an aquarium. So then um, I just used that information that I learned on being able to raise different species of fish and invertebrates into raising seahorses and sea dragons here at the Birch Aquarium. Um, and it's something that we just started with one species in 1996. And it just kind of snowballed and we got into 13 different species of seahorses. And then we had sea dragons, which came into the picture a little later. And because we were very successful at raising seahorses, we thought, well, why can't we try and start doing that with sea dragons? And sea dragons are a little more challenging and it's taking us a little bit more longer to, to finesse our husbandry skills and and caring for them and um, 
being able to get them to reproduce in captivity. But um, it's very challenging. It's a lot of hard work, but at the same time, it's really rewarding to be able to see these species and be able to share these animals. We have a, a really um, successful propagation program with seahorses and we share those seahorses with um, over a hundred institutions throughout the US and the world over this time that we've been working with seahorses. And you know, we've it's probably close now to 5,000 seahorses that we've shared. So we would like to be able to do something similar to that with sea dragons. And so hopefully we're on our way towards that ultimate goal. And also, um, you know, sharing our skills and knowledge as well. That's so cool. So from sea dragons, or sorry, from seahorses to sea dragons, is there another species out there <laughs> that you're looking to, to get into? Well, we also are looking to get into leafy sea dragons. There's three species of sea dragons that we know of that come from Southern Australia. Uh, the other weedy sea dragons are the most common sea dragon. And then leafy sea dragon is the next common sea dragon that has a smaller geographic range in Southern Australia and is, is quite an elaborate, very charismatic fish, um, but very rare. And so we would like to be able to raise leafy sea dragons. No one so far as uh, as far as I know has ever raised a leafy sea dragon in, in captivity. We're all trying to do that as well, but it's, it's difficult to get those uh, leafy sea dragons. So they're a lot more rare, therefore it makes it harder for us to be able to work uh, with that species. But there is potential and we are working with them uh, we don't have them currently here at the aquarium, but we've had them for many years previous to the to um, this year, and we're very hopeful that we'll be able to work with them. But the skills that we learn now from raising raising weedy sea dragons will help us with the leafy sea dragon. And then there's a ruby sea dragon, which is even more rare, which was recently discovered. Um, probably, I think it's been like five or six years now that was. Discovered by accident by our Scripps Institution of Oceanography scientists, they were investigating some genetic diversity with tissue samples, and they got a tissue sample from a museum in southern Australia and found out that the genetic makeup of that particular sea dragon was not what a typical weedy sea dragon would be, which was what it was identified in the museum specimen. They then proceeded to do another test again, and it came out the same, and it was just a mystery. So they asked if they could have the whole animal, because they only took a little piece of tissue from this specimen in, in the museum. And when they looked at the specimen when it arrived, even when you look at the physical body shape of it, it's a little bit different from a weedy sea dragon. So they immediately they knew they thought, this is really something strange. We need to test this again. They did x-rays on them and their body structure was was different. And the information that came along with it, which is why it's so important to identify museum specimens uh, with as much information as possible, because they were able to pinpoint where this particular species called the ruby sea dragon that they named uh, occurs in. And there were only three specimens in, that they found in the museums. Because of that information, they were able to go out to the field and 
they suspected it was a deep water species because it had a red color. Someone had taken a picture before they preserved it. And usually red coloration of a fish means it's either nocturnal or it's a deep water fish. So they suspected it was a deep water fish that was brought up in a trawl because of that information they had. Went out to that area for five days with a, a remotely operated vehicle underwater and just searched for this needle in the haystack. And what was amazing, and I can't even believe this till today, that within the three days that they were able to dive because the weather wasn't that great, um, they found it, a live ruby sea dragon that no one had ever really seen in its natural habitat before and was able to videotape it, bring back that tape, videotape and documentation and show that this is a living animal that hasn't really been described. And so this was an amazing discovery by our Scripps Institution scientists. And it gave us another species of sea dragon, which is, is pretty incredible um, and quite different because it's a deep water species, but, but nonetheless, very closely related to a weedy sea dragon, even genetically. So that's, that's another whole other story. <laughs> that is so cool. I can't wait to Google this. I can't do it right now because I don't yeah. want my keyboard to clack. But um, I mean, yeah, how common... look up Ruby Sea Dragon. Will do, definitely. Um, I mean, how common is it to discover an all new animal? It's not common in this day and age because we have so many, we have access to so many different ways of finding animals. But the deep ocean still has a lot of mysterious creatures that we don't know about. So this is really one of the largest animals that, that they discovered that year and actually was um, given as one of the top 10 discoveries of that year because it was a really, really amazing discovery. And how they discovered it was even more amazing. They didn't discover it in the field. They found it through museum specimens that were preserved. So that's that's pretty amazing. So exciting. Um, well, if this um, transfer is successful and babies are hatched, I mean, how how soon could the public be able to see it? Well, the eggs should hatch within four to six weeks. And typically it's more closer to six weeks when the eggs will start hatching probably over a four or five day period. And they'll hatch right off of the tail. So you'll see a little tiny itty bitty tail sticking out of the egg case and then they pop out. And when they hatch, they're usually about three quarters of an inch in length. And they look like a miniature stunted weedy sea dragon, which is pretty amazing. And they're super, super cute. Um, and we will do our best to provide as much food as we can for them because they eat a lot and they grow really quickly at that point. Um, and what I said earlier is our best way to, to um, show what's going on with our baby sea dragons is through social media so that we could take videos and photographs and share them with our followers so they can actually see the babies up close through photographs and videos because it would be really difficult for us to put something um, like a tank on display and really control their environment properly. So um, that's probably gonna be the best way for everyone to follow along on on the progress of the hatching of this weedy sea dragons. Okay, well, that sounds amazing. Can't wait to see it. Um, Leslie Matsushige, congratulations on this really uh, exciting development. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you.